0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to my podcast, Leaving Religion and Those We Leave Behind. I am Amanda Joy Loveland, and as always, I am so thrilled to be here with you today, especially with this next guest. I'm so excited to share this interview with you. Before we dive in, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a five-star review, if you wouldn't mind. I've been receiving such beautiful comments lately and feedback with this podcast, and it really makes... I don't make any money off of doing this. I haven't looked for sponsors. I haven't done any of that yet. Maybe I will down down the line. But my my I guess the reciprocity is the reviews and the comments and just knowing that what I'm doing and sitting here with these these beautiful guests and them sharing their story and what they've learned is helping you in your life. So do me a favor Leave me a review, share this with your friends and family, and help me to continue to grow this podcast because it really, really is a beautiful, beautiful tool. And I still have a few spots left for my upcoming retreat down in Springdale, Utah, March 17th through the 20th. This is an unbind and unwind retreat where I will guide you through meditations, sound healing journeys, experiences. And you'll get massages, yoga if you want to, being in Zion's National Park to really uplift the soul, to put down those pieces that are no longer serving and to answer more and more of your soul's calling in this life. If you are feeling a soul's yes to this, head over to my website, amandajoyloveland.com forward slash unbind to grab your spot today. And I have a speaker summit that's coming up April 24th. You know, back years and years and years, hundreds of years ago, we would have spiritual schools. And those spiritual schools really taught us more about life and our purpose here in this life and how we are connected to all things and are abundant manifestors and creators in this life. However, history has shifted that, that model for all sorts of reasons, and we don't have those light schools. We don't have those mystery schools. And there is a desire for so many of us to learn more about ourselves and who we can really be. And this Breaking Barriers Speaker Symposium is one of those events that allows you to have a day experience with six speakers, including myself, where we will dive into topics like gratitude and the power of gratitude and mindset, or if you are in the survival mindset versus thriving mindset, or how to rewire your story so that you're no longer a victim to it, but you see the empowerment in the story to so many other topics and have a somatic Immersive experience so that you're not just being talked to, you're being worked with and spoken with and having experiences and exercises to allow you to really fully embody what the principle is that the speaker is talking to. So if this is a call for you, also head over to my website, amandajoyloveland.com forward slash breaking through. I will put the links in the show comments and I look forward to seeing you there. And without further ado, let's dive into the interview that I had with Angie Shockley, who is an amazing, amazing human being, and I am truly honored and grateful to call her my friend. All right. Well, Angie, I'm so excited. Are you ready? Are you ready to dive in? Let's do this. (laughs) Thank God for Zoom and the ability to connect. You and I met how many years ago now? we I was trying to remember, we went through the first round of medicine well together and then again
1: through practitioner, right? I think so. Through the first part of the practitioner, and then that's when you couldn't come up. back. Yeah. yeah um, so that's stuff. been like twenty fifteen, twenty sixteen, something like that.
0: When I first stepped into the medicine well, it was in thirteen. Anyway. Yeah, you and I got to connect in that space, which, thank mm-hmm. goodness, because you live in West Virginia and I'm in Utah, and then we go to <laughs> Idaho, <laughs> and Great. that's where we meet. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So I'm really cool.
0: you. You had shared that you have kind of listened to some of the podcasts, and a lot of it resonated with you, even though you don't have a Mormon background. Yeah, and correct. You shared some of your story with me, and it's like, oh, I really, really, I. I'm going to start branching this podcast to talking to people of all faiths and all backgrounds and and really what ended up helping you to find your spiritual center. So I'm excited to have you as my first Mm -hmm. (laughs) non-Mormon (laughs) guest that gets to be on the show. So thank you
1: for saying yes. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the invitation. I'm excited to do this.
0: So now did you grow, you said that your, was it your grandfather? Mm -hmm. He was, now what was he again?
1: he so well, I, it's a long story yeah, and someday you dive I'm write the book but um because it's a beautiful story too so my grandfather was I would not say a minister I would call him a preacher he oh. did not go to seminary so he grew up here in West Virginia southern part of the state um, in a very small town and he was rowdy and a great athlete and went into the army and played football and he was a golden gloves champ and You know, he had this really incredible life um, and he joined the army before he was 18, lied about his Mm. age to join the army. And um, he actually was part of the CCC Corps. And that's how he met my grandmother, um, Mm. by building roads. And then um, he actually was dating her older sister, which is kind of interesting. And um, then he went off to fight in the Second World War. And mm-hmm. he was injured. He he was an officer um, before he was injured, um, discharged as an officer. But he was injured in Africa and a piece of shrapnel, pretty good sized piece of shrapnel, went through him. And mm-hmm. they really were shocked that he lived at all. Um, but he did and made it home to the States and he was in Memphis. And he actually wrote a letter to my grandmother's mother, my great grandmother, and said, if you'll let Helen come and marry me, you know, I promised to always take care of her, etc. And this, he had, he and my grandmother had been writing letters back and forth while he was in the army and serving. And so my great grandmother gave her permission. She got on a train, she rode to a hospital in Memphis and um, they were married. And from that point on, he, he had made that promise to God, you know, if you let me live through this, I'll give my life to you, which a lot of people have that story. Mm -hmm. Um, but he lived it. And so he, he had no formal training and he didn't even grow up in a church or in any kind of organized religion. Yeah. So what he did is he took the Bible and took it at its word, very literal, very black and white. And that's how he served his, his, um, church, um, and created a church and, and, you know, he had a church building and it burned down and, um there were just lots of things that happened and he ended up actually holding his church services in his house and so mm. um my when my my dad and I have one uncle there there were two two boys in that marriage and my dad when he was younger they went to church on Sunday and Sunday night and Monday nights and Wednesday nights and Friday nights and then sometimes on Saturday and so he kind of um My dad is an interesting character and I've learned so much about him as I've become an adult and really learned that he is very, very energetic and his church has always Mm -hmm. been the woods. He always goes to the woods. So, so anyway, so there's this, you know, this long period of time where my grandfather was just really, really reading the Bible and taking it at face value. And that's what he was preaching to everybody else. And, you know, it, it was very fundamentalist approach. Um, I, I think if you had to use an organized religion to compare it to, it would be more fundamentalist church of God kind of uh, approach. Hmm. And and it was a patriarchy. You know, women, there are a lot of things women can't do. Uh, women don't wear pants. Women don't play sports. Women don't wear makeup. Women don't cut their hair. Women defer to men. Um, and then God gave him me as his first grandchild. <laughs> Here's a woman. <laughs> da, da, da. And um so you know I so my my mom um my parents have been married for, for almost 56 years and they were high school sweethearts and my mom did not grow up in an organized religion or church of any kind really um she had a great family but it just that just wasn't a part of it and my mom's a very spiritual person so when she found my dad and then found my grandfather and this belief system and she just really latched onto it and it became sort of her, her guiding force through her, her young life of getting married at 19 and, you know, having me very soon after that. And um, so it was something very, very important to her that she made sure that, that my brother and I both were able to participate in this and that we learned it. And, you know, and so every night before bed, she would be in the hallway between our rooms and would read the Bible to us and, Um, and I found comfort in that. It wasn't, it wasn't anything that was bad or hard. I found comfort in it. And, you know, there's still a lot of the Bible that I enjoy reading a lot of the Psalms and things like that. Um, so then she would take us to Sunday school and church with my grandfather. And, you know, we, when I was little, it was kind of over my head. I didn't really, I just really didn't pay much attention to it. I remember when I was pretty young, um, we used to all, of course, sit together, my brother, me, my mom, and my dad. And at some point, my dad was just like, I am not doing this anymore. You know, I've been to as many church services as I can handle in one lifetime. And I'm just not doing this anymore. And so he I think he went to the Sunday school service because mom wanted him to. And, and she wanted us to have that that spiritual surroundings or teachings, you know, all of that. But at some point he just was like, I, i you know, I've done this my whole life. I'm not doing it anymore. So when we would go to church, he would go to the woods and I grew up on a farm and there's a lot of, it's about 300 acres. And so there's a lot of places he could go in the forest and find his peace. And Mm -hmm. he always said that to me and I would hear it, but it didn't really make sense to me when I was a little kid. Now it completely makes sense to me because I do the same thing. But, Mm -hmm. um, I guess, when I was probably 10 or 11, when I started to question, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, so he's saying that women can't wear pants, but he bought me coveralls to go to the barn and help him milk the cow, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and he's teaching me all these things. And um, he would, when I was so little, like, I, I remember being little young enough that I had to standing on the floor and my grandfather sitting in a chair in the kitchen and I would reach up to comb his hair. So I'm young. Mm
0: -hmm. And he would
1: tell me he needed me to comb his hair. But what he would do is he would set me up to argue with him. Didn't (laughs) matter. Oh, let me. It didn't matter what the topic was. It just, it didn't matter. He was teaching me to debate. And I realized that many years later, (laughs) But at the time, like he, it didn't matter the topic. He, whatever I would say, he would take the other side of it. And I would comb his hair and argue with him for hours. And He taught me so much as a child. And, you know, he taught me to have respect for nature. And um, I mean, he taught me to drive. He taught me a lot of things in my life. And we had a very, very special bond. And I loved my grandfather very, very much. And I still feel very connected to him. But there was a time when I, and I was, uh, I was a good athlete. I was a high school basketball player and I was, I was good. My grandfather never missed a game. In fact, he got thrown mm. out of some games for yelling <laughs> at the, the referee over me. So, you know, so he, we very, very close. And I also had a lot of injuries as a high school basketball player. Mm. And I remember being in church one Sunday and, um, there was a, A lady in the church who was praying at the time, and I was on crutches. I'd sprained my ankle and I was on crutches. And so I've got my head down, you know, being respectful. And she's praying and I'm listening to her. And she starts to pray that God will help me to see that running up and down the floor in the shorts and showing myself is not Christian like. And that's why I'm injured. And it was just like, boom, I set up and I got my crutches and I left. And that was it. I never went back. And How old were my, you? I was. I wasn't driving yet, so maybe fourteen, fifteen. Oh, wow. And and I had already like there was a lot of it that I would just tune out. Like I just, this is not for me. But I didn't make a big deal about it. But when that happened, that was a real defining moment for me. No I was like, this is not, you know, I because I because there was also the message of God gives us talents and it's up to us to use those talents, whatever that talent is. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, okay, this is giving me a scholarship to go to college. So I'm not sure how I'm not Christian by doing this and why is my grandfather there? So I, I started to really question a lot of things. And my mom, um, in some ways, my mom was always kind of a naive, shy, backward person. And there were a lot of things in life that, I mean, you know me enough to know that that is not me. I am not that shy, (laughs) backward, quiet person. So, you know, there were a lot of times that we didn't have those really in-depth discussions about things. We just didn't. Um, She also is probably the person who taught me the most tolerance and kindness and Mm -hmm. to have love for everyone in my life. Um, Non-judgment, you know, that I really got from my my mom. Um, But we never really had a big conversation about it. I just said, I'm not going back that's I'm just not it's not for me, and I'm not going back and that was it. I didn't go back mm-hmm. and she continued to go and at some point, my brother stopped going to you know it was it just wasn't that big of a deal and we lived on the farm. my grandfather lived on the farm, <laughs> my grandparents were just across the field from us you know when I ran away from home, I ran away to their house um so it was it wasn't like i left the family or, you know, it wasn't that kind of a situation. And there were times that my grandmother would say something to me about it. And I made it very clear why I wasn't going back. But my grandfather never really said much to me about it. And Mm. as I got older, and he got older, um, and my grandmother passed away at a young age, she had breast cancer, and she passed away. Mm. And so my grandfather was by himself, and he was 11 years older than her. So he didn't that was not his plan. His plan was she was going. He was going to die first. You know that was his plan. No
0: kidding. Yeah.
1: So he had all these plans in his life that really didn't go the way that he thought they would. And so we had some really great conversations towards the end of his life about um, me and my life and things that I was doing and you know how I was expressing my spirituality. And this was long before I discovered shamanism or any of that kind of spirituality. This was more, I I think I've always had it. It's always well, We know that like it's an innate part of us. And I always had the connection to nature, the connection to animals. And I remember sitting in our meadow under apple trees and like having a deer come up really close to me and my, at like to touch me. And my mom Mm -hmm. saw that, you know, so so my family knew this about me for a long time. Mom said that I always rescued everyone, animals, people, whatever. She always made extra dinner because she didn't know who I was going to bring home from school because somebody didn't have food that day, you know. Um, and so nobody really, like, questioned me on my spirituality. I think there was a lot of fear that I was going to go to hell because I wasn't doing what was supposed to be done um, and, you know, being saved and all of those things that come up in religion that really are fear-based, and I also mm-hmm. could not bring into, um, I guess, I don't know, I couldn't, I could, it didn't match to me that that God is somebody who's going to punish people, and at the same time be a loving God. I could mm-hmm. not bring those two things together in my mind, and I hear a lot of the people in your podcast that's something that they've struggled with too. Is like how. How are we going to be punished for this? And how are only certain people going to find their way into heaven? And how are we supposed to love everyone? Oh, but we can't love these people. And yeah. you know how how is my God different than everybody else's God? How is my God better than everybody else's God? And how how are we right and everybody else is wrong? Like I, those are things I always struggled with from the time I was a little kid. Mm. And so, as I when I didn't go back anymore. And my grandfather still continued to be my grandfather. And I still had wonderful, a wonderful teenage years experience with him. And you know, when he passed away, my brother and I were both there when he passed away. And he told me before he died that I was one of his greatest teachers. Mm-hmm. And that meant, meant more to me than anything he said to me in my entire life. Because mm-hmm. there was a part of me, I, like I didn't want to ever disappoint him. You know, but I also was strong enough to argue with him, which he taught me how to do. Uh (laughs) You know, so we laughed about that some, but I and I said to him one time, you know, you have all these really strong beliefs, and you're, you know, you're a godly man, and I'm your grandchild. I'm the first grandchild that came into your life, and I have challenged everything that you have put in front of me but you love me and I believe God loves me and I believe that I'm a good person. I believe I have, have a lot to offer the world, you know? And um, I was the first person in my family to get divorced. Mm-hmm. That was a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a huge one because it was part of the belief system I grew up with. Not exactly like Mormonism where you're together for all of eternity, but like you can only be married to one person. Mm-hmm. And even if you get divorced, you can never be it, it, another marriage will never be recognized like that kind of thing. Like you, that's your only mate ever. And then I got married and divorced again. <laughs> mm. And and my grandfather performed the ceremony in my first marriage too. Uh-huh. So that was, and I was very young, um, very, very young when I got married and very headstrong. And, uh, you know, that my first ex-husband is still one of my very best friends. Today's his birthday, actually. Uh-huh. Um, And we talked today, you know, he's, he's great and I love him, but it wasn't, we weren't to be married. And so Mm -hmm. of course my, my grandfather did not perform the second wedding ceremony, but he did attend and, you know, there was acceptance of me as a divorced, you know, I felt like I had the scarlet letter on my um, forehead for a long time, but I also had to do what was in my best interest and my kid's best interest. So, um, so it was you know, it's it's an interesting concept that leaving religion and those we leave behind, because I feel like in some ways, I did leave some people behind, like particularly my mom, um just because we've never really been able to share that same kind of connection when it comes to Christianity, Christianity and religion. And like she's still very much, you know, in that part of her world. Um, she has not attended a church since my grandfather passed away. But so she still believes that saying. Now, what has happened through the years is my mom wears pants, and my mom is not upset about me being divorced, and she's she knows about my the shamanic work that I do, and, and your dogs need some love, yeah, and yes, and, and he's curious? huge. Um, <laughs> And she, so I, I that was one thing I stressed about, like how would I tell her what I do? How would I explain yeah. this to her? And my dad had to have a knee replacement, and we were in the hospital, and we're waiting, and we're bored, and it came up, <laughs> and so I just was talking to her about it, and that's when I really realized that language is so important. Like God mm. is God, is Spirit, is Universe, is Source, as whatever. Like if I use the term God with her she understood if I had used the term spirit or source with her, she would have seen it as something weird or it would not Mm -hmm. have fit into her box, but using the word God with her and explaining my belief system, she was like, yeah, I I understand that. That's, you know, Mm -hmm. she was perfectly okay with it, which was really cool to have that kind of acceptance, you know, of me living a much different (laughs) lifestyle. Um, than my mom and having a different belief system and different structure around that. And, you know, I don't feel like she is worried that I'm going to burn in hell forever. I don't. feel I think she has kind of let go of that a little bit. Um, But she still has those very basic beliefs about um, the Bible that it's, you know, very. The word is the word and we have to do it this way. And so Mm -hmm. we do disagree on some things with that, as you can imagine. Um, Yeah but I do feel like that there's a, a respect for my choice to not be a part of that, to not raise my children that way. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that was another thing. Like you have to raise your children this way. And if your children aren't saved and a part of this belief system, then they're going to go to hell. And then, you know, and it, it just this fear-based belief system that I just was not going to put on my children. I just wasn't. And, yeah. you know, so, so, but, you know, both my kids are adults now I have a grandson and, both he's my so kids cute. are, he is, he's a lot of fun. Um, and both my kids I would say are very spiritual. Um, but neither one of them are religious. You know, neither one of them actually go to a church, um, mm-hmm. but they have their own spiritual practices, which I feel completely comfortable with. And, you know, they've nicknamed me Shama mama. and I have cups and hats. And oh, their so name is Shama mama. so that's Shama who mama. I am. <laughs> Shama mama. Um, So, you know, it's just, it's been an interesting journey of letting that go. And I think some of the fear around letting that go, like some of what I've heard some of your other guests talk about of like, if you don't have that structure around you, then what do you have and where do you go? And I think that was, I didn't realize I had it when I was in it, but looking back now, I realized that I really did. And I think that's why I, when I got divorced, the first time I got remarried so quickly is because I had no, I had nothing to ground me. I had no, Mm. no system around me that, that gave me any kind of guidance. And I wasn't strong enough in my own identity at that point to let it be me. I couldn't be my own beacon and I was Mm -hmm. looking for something. And so I looked for it in another man versus, you know, I didn't want to go back into the church. I didn't want to do that. And Um, and I got some pressure at that point in time, you know, well, you could come and do this and you can be forgiven and all those sorts of Mm -hmm. things. And that wasn't, I knew that wasn't what I wanted. So I was out there kind of looking around for what is my path? What's my beacon? And, um, it took a long time. It took a, it took a long time to really kind of feel strong enough in my own belief systems to not be fearful that I was doing something wrong. Or yeah. that I was going to burn in hell. Is that real? Like, am I really going to burn in hell for all eternity? Like how, you know, so even though cognitively, I knew that that was not real. I think intuitively and energetically, it was ingrained in me to the point that I did have to do work to, to let that go. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first time around the wheel was it, it, it shook my foundation a little bit. It felt right. Everything felt Right. But then I would go to do my work, my personal work, and I would have these doubts. Mm. uh, Does this go against what's right? Um, You know, so I and a lot
0: of times people will ask if uh, shamanism is a religion. And I think that's where you bounce up against it when you first step into something like that, that you wonder if this conflicts with. Yeah, the things of your youth, Mm -hmm. of your childhood, of your family systems. And Mm -hmm. so I completely understand that. And just for context with people that are listening, uh, the year, the medicine wheel is a year-long process where you, the medicine wheel is all personal. It's all where you get to dive in and you get to look at your connections with your, you know, for me, my first time around was we're connecting with earth energy and I couldn't connect with her because the mother wound was so deep within me that I had to go clear my connections with the female line in my family system. And it was deep, you know, and I had no idea it was there.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, just to give a little bit of context, when we're talking about the wheel and, and personal work, I mean, it's,
1: it's a beautiful, I, I love shamanism. Mm-hmm, me too. And now I teach the wheel. It's, know you know, it's the so journey good. has been so incredible. Um, Yeah. It, it. But yes, I did. I had to go through all of that as I'm learning. It's almost like you're relearning. It's not like you're learning something new. It's like you're relearning what you already knew. But it was so hidden by all of these systems that are placed on us in society, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and beyond religion, but especially religion. I think really um, it it keeps us from knowing our intuitive truth. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: I think for me, having that cleared away and same as you, I had to do a lot of personal work to move old wounds that I didn't even know I had. And then when they came into my awareness and I was able to move them, it was like any leftover fear or resentment that I had about what happened in my my teens was gone. I was able to look at it with so much love. And I mean, for a lot of years, I really didn't like that woman who said that prayer. I really didn't like her, you know, I was really mad at her and her daughter was a really good friend of mine. We share a birthday and, um, and I had really just had a lot of anger towards her. And so doing that personal work that you mentioned through the medicine wheel, I was able to let that go and to see that experience with so much love and kindness, knowing that she was doing the best that she could with what she had at the time. And that her concern for me was real, Um, you know, it wasn't to be mean to me. And to be able to put it into that context was healing for me. Um, And Mm -hmm. she has since passed away and I've reconnected with her daughter, thanks to social media. (laughs) Um, We live in different states, but, you know, just to to watch her be able to go out and live her life in a way that makes her happy. And she's not restricted by those same beliefs because she stayed in, she stayed very Mm. much involved with the church and very much in that religion and wore the you know the almost looked like Amish clothing um, really? through high school oh yeah like the what, all so what addresses. when you
0: when you guys did go to church what was the what church was it
1: um it, it just it wasn't it didn't really have a name like it it was just my grandfather huh. and he didn't he refused to be a part of any denomination. Um, he didn't want to be a part of anything else. He wanted to do it his way, which is absolutely in character with him. Now that I know so much about him, completely in character with him. He wasn't going to follow somebody else. He was going to do it his way. Um, and I do. So he
0: did start his own church. I was, mm-hmm. I wanted to circle back because I know you had mentioned that and then it burned down and then church out of home. So he continued. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, that mm-hmm. is a big, big undertaking.
1: Yeah. He was a really really intelligent, incredibly connected man and you know he was he was an officer to the point that when in later I mean he always went to the the closest base for his medical appointments and you know and and I mean they literally told him he wouldn't live past 30 and he mm. was in his 80s when he passed away and he had a colostomy wow. bag his entire adult life because of the injury wow. that he had and so he, even when my dad would go with him later in life and they would go to one of the military bases, he, he would, he, didn't, he just sat on his regular clothes, but he would walk in and I mean, people snapped too. Like he would not talk about what he, what he did in mm. the army. Um, And we found a chest of medals mm. that he would never, he just wouldn't talk about it. And he he wouldn't talk about medals that he won he wouldn't he was um he took that humility piece to the extreme that like he mm-hmm. he was so afraid of living from his ego that's how i can talk about it now yeah. i didn't know then but we found a lot of this stuff you know later in his life and he i mean he had a purple heart uh you know he wow. had all kinds of medals i don't even know what all of them meant and but he wouldn't talk about it but he yeah, he, he carried a very high respect in the military world up until the time that he passed away. And, mm-hmm. um, and he also, I know, had a lot of trauma wounds from that experience. You know, now looking through the shaman's eyes, I see those too. Um, yeah. But he was just such a gentle, kind person. And he, he, he loved me with absolutely unconditional love. And to be able to have that experience with him while also seeing him be this person that I just, it just didn't make, make sense to me, you know? Um, Yeah. And I, I so wish I could have, you know, that one more conversation with him where I could ask questions now with a different filter um, Mm -hmm. because I didn't know what to ask when he was passing. I didn't know what questions to ask then and now and of course every journey's perfect and i know that and i know the gifts of my time with him and and even beyond that and um and and this will this is also for everybody listening this is part of the the medicine wheel journey but you know working with your own ancestors and i have discovered that i had um ancestors who were shaman on his side of the family mm. um and being able to to connect with them and realize that there was that part of him, that he was a healer. It's just that his modality was, was very different. And because of his trauma wounds, he couldn't, he couldn't do it any other way. He couldn't, he didn't know how, he didn't know how to do it any other way. So he did it the only way he knew how. Um, So it's, it's been, um, it's been really interesting for me to go through this process on my on my own through the medicine wheel and becoming a shaman and, and learning how to teach and all of this this um awakening that I have this rediscovery of my true self and knowing that he was there and he didn't get to do it in his lifetime. And you know it's obviously it's for another lifetime and obviously mm-hmm. it's for um when it's right for him, right for his soul to have that mm-hmm. discovery. But I feel like him saying to me that I was one of his greatest teachers, I think that was true. Like, I really, I think I, I challenged him at every turn. Yeah. I bet you did.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Every turn.
1: Yeah. And we colluded with one another. He got me my first pony (laughs) against all of my parents' advice and wishes. He still got me my first pony. So, you know, and I've had this journey with horses my whole life. And, um, so that was something special I had with him. I definitely had this special connection with him for sure.
0: Well, and you know, we all have complicated relationships with our family members and for sure, it sounds like you had this very beautiful, complicated relationship with your grandfather.
1: (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yes. And I'm so uh, glad that I just kind of went with it. Like I didn't, I didn't worry about it. Like I didn't overthink it when I was younger and I'm glad because I think if I had, I don't think it would have been as special. And I don't think it would have been as meaningful. We would have fought. I would have fought with him more, Mm -hmm. but I didn't find a need to fight with him. For some reason, I didn't have to prove I was right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a teenager and a young adult, you're proving you're right about everything because it's how you survive in this world. And there was never a time I felt I needed to prove I was right to him. I just Mm -hmm. was okay with me being me and him being him. And I'm really, really grateful for that.
0: Yeah. So you, what, I'm curious and in your journey as you're kind of uncovering and asking to see different, you know, you talked about a few of your marriages and trying to find these pieces of you to ground yourself. What led you to finding more and more of who you are today? Like, did you do anything else before you so, dove into shamanism or how did that unfold for you? Um,
1: I think that the, well, if I, if I go back and I look at it, without the current filter that I have, I think I was really, really flailing around for a lot of years. I really do. Like I, mm. you know, I had a period of my time, a period of my life where, um, I didn't make good decisions. Well, on any level, I, I just didn't. And, and I, and it was 2003, I believe I call it the year of being alone. <laughs> Um, And that was really, I think, the beginning of my journey. And so I think because of what I've rediscovered about myself was there, um, and I think that it was divine intervention allowing me to kind of experience some of this. So I I had the first two marriages, a second marriage ended, got into a, a really, really unhealthy relationship with a man that I knew. I knew when I was in it, I knew, but you know, you can compartmentalize that stuff and (laughs) you just, it'll be okay. I'll make it, I'll make it okay. I'll make it okay. Well, it just kept getting progressively worse and it actually ended with me having a miscarriage. And Mm. that was, um, a real pivotal moment for me. It, it really was. I, um, at that point was, that was the end of it. Like that was the moment that I didn't need to see, speak to, hear from, be a part of that person's life anymore. and mm. I also realized that I had to I had to find me. and I really had never been completely on my own up to that point. I had gone from my parents to college, married my first husband before I was out of college, then had to move back home with my parents and then married my second husband like I'd never. I never had that space to find me, and so I I had my own house on our family farm. I had both my kids, and I just said, "That's it. Like I'm going to go to work, and I'm going to go home, and I'm going to deal with me." And I did. Um, and in that time, I I read some books, and I I probably can't even tell you what books I read at that point. But I that's where I really started, like doing my own research around spirituality. Like what, what is the meaning of life? Why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing this? None of this feels okay to me. So where do I have to go in order to feel okay with me? That was Mm -hmm. my question. And one of the things that came really strongly for me was like, I had to take accountability for myself and for my life. And so I did, I, I spent, I learned how to meditate. Um, I, I, Spent a lot of time on our farm in nature. I've walked around our farm. I can't even tell you how many times in that year. Um, and I can remember feeling really cold wind on my face and really warm wind on my face, and just that connection to nature. And and I knew I had that. I knew I always had that, and I knew I needed it. But I began to explore it as almost as a as a religion, really. Like this, I knew that make having that connection to the earth gave me peace and so i i really spent time exploring that and and you know trying really hard to find out like how how to how to bring that connection more to myself mm-hmm. so there was that and then that accountability piece it was like okay how for how many years have i been lying to myself about i was perfect and everybody else was wrong. You know, how many years have I been doing that? And where do I need to step up and take accountability? And I, there were a lot of places in my life. And so one of the first things I did was reach out to both ex-husbands and say, mm-hmm. "I'm sorry. I'm sorry for my part of whatever happened. You know, I'm I'm sorry." And it was interesting having that conversation with them. Um because it was what well, was different um with both of them, but both of them were like, "Well, there's nothing to apologize for like you know it just it is what it is, and I'm sorry too and so it was it it wasn't like a a big aha moment, but it was for me, and it was the first time that I realized that forgiveness is about me, it's not about the other person, and when you forgive yourself, that is a huge step in the right direction mm-hmm. um, so in that year. I crocheted a lot.
0: <laughs> I had to keep my <laughs> hands busy a
1: lot. Um, and my grandmother had taught me how to crochet. And so mm-hmm. I made a lot of blankets because I'm not really that good at it, but I can make a square. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I did that. And, and you know, my dad would come visit me. And I remember mom telling me that, you know, your dad's really worried about you. He says, you're just down there crocheting like an old lady. You need to go out, you need to have friends. And I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm I'm good. I'm good doing what I'm doing. Now you had um, so your boys I, at this time or you didn't? I, I, I Sarah and Michael. Yes. I had oh, Sarah and
0: Michael, sorry. Sarah, Michael. Yeah.
1: I had both of them. Um, and oh. I, so you're a single mama at this time too. I was a single mama and, um, so, you know, so, so there's all the financial stuff and, you know, I had done what most, women do when they leave marriages took debt and didn't worry about it. And so I had all of these things really kind of come to a head and, and time to go, okay, stop, let's stop. And I was running a wilderness program, a wilderness therapy program at the time. So I had this really intense, heavy job that I loved, um, and all this other stuff going on in my life. And I was surrounded by some incredibly strong intuitive women who Mm. took me under their wing and provided me with a safe space to talk about whatever I needed to talk about. Um, and so that was really the, the pivotal point for me was all of that. And so uh, it, it, I think it was divine intervention. I really do. I, I, you know, that I mourned the loss of that child. Um, that was hard. Um, but I know it was a really important part of my journey as well. And I've, Mm -hmm. I've worked with that shamanically and and I know Mm -hmm. what the gift was and, and is. Um, And I think from that point, then it was other people coming into my life Mm -hmm. and with purpose and meaning and people that I had sort of known and all of a sudden, like they're really in my awareness and they're talking to me about the medicine wheel, um, the wilderness program that I ran was loosely based on the medicine wheel, but I didn't really understand all of that at the time. Um, the gentleman who started the program had taken the medicine wheel uh, at Four Winds, and so he built this therapeutic program around the medicine wheel. And I look back at it now, I'm like, oh my god, that was like incredible, you know? Yeah. And so there were just so many things that really I, they just. It was divine intervention that -hmm. came into my life. And so, um, Kim, who lives in Sandpoint, (laughs) um, I had, she and I had been, you know, kind of loose acquaintances for a long time and, and the world kind of threw us together a little bit and she had taken the medicine wheel with the four winds and, um, and knew the teacher in, um, Idaho and said, you know, if you'll come take the class, I'll take it with you. And when she made that kind of commitment, she had been talking to me about it for a long time. But when she made that level of commitment, I was like, okay, then this must be important. Yeah. And so I, I said, yeah. So that was, and and that was like whatever year, 2013, 20, whatever year that was, um, that's when I first stepped onto this journey path. Mm-hmm. And and so I think, you know, as as I went through the first round of the wheel and was looking back at my year of being alone and going, that's the first time I walked the wheel. I I walked it that year. Um, I just did it without God. I did it without really having the knowledge, the box to put Mm -hmm. it in. Um, But I did so much of that work on my own that year. And, um, and I, you know, it was the first time in my life that I was like so intentional about everything I said and everything I did and the people that I brought into my life and into my children's lives. And, you know, I apologize to my children for not being fully present with them. And I still have, I still have stuff to deal with, with that. And, and my kids are great. My, you know, my daughter's 33, my son's 28, and they're great. Um, but I still talk to them about this a lot mm-hmm. um, because I want them to understand and I want them to have the ability to, deal with those things as they come up for them and not, you know, after the fact, like I did, I want them to be able to wade through it now with better tools, which I think is part of my purpose as a parent and as a Mm -hmm. healer is heal my family. Um, But yeah, I, I, I like was so careful about making sure everything I said was true and I was really living with the four agreements. I was really, that was really an important concept to me, you know, the integrity, you know, walk your Mm -hmm. talk. So Mm. mean what you say, do the best that you can and and then know that you have to let it go after that. So, so yeah. So from, you know, for what, 10 years there, I was kind of fumbling around on my own um, until I just found this path that really helped me. Know that I am a beacon; that everything I need is within, and my relationship with God um, is incredible. I I really feel deeply connected. Um, I've really loved hearing you talk about your connection to God, the the death of your God, and Spirit and Source. And you know, a lot of the language is is the same for us because of the the way that we've trained and and done our own mm-hmm. work, um, but But knowing that there's a higher power and having 100% faith in that and being able to let go and trust has been just an incredible thing for me. Because I think, I don't think that I, you know, when I had that experience with this woman who's praying for me because I'm a horrible person, I I, I didn't get mad at God about that. I got mad at her about that. Mm -hmm. But I think it really stopped me from being open enough to have a relationship with a higher power, if that mm. makes sense. I think mm-hmm. it cl- clouded everything for me and I didn't trust it. Yeah. I didn't trust that higher power. Like, how are you going to take care of her and me? Like that doesn't make sense to me, you know, in my 15 mm-hmm. year old brain or whatever. But I think that that, that really clouded everything for me. And so now to be able to, to pray, connect, to trust, um, and, You know, when I talk to people who are in recovery and they live by let go, let God, like that's real. Um, And I feel it every day. And I'm so grateful for that.
0: Mm, That's beautiful. It is interesting that you're bringing up trust a few times. And I I feel like there's such an interesting dynamic with the dance that we play with God, source, spirit.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And that's very, very layered. And in my experience, and the more I'm diving into this, there's so many different types of gods out there. And so many different versions of God that we get to connect with. And then we disconnect from that version and connect to a different version and disconnect from that. And there is this trust that happens with, you know, it's like having a, a parent figure that somehow wounds you, you lose trust. And so having a relationship with that person, it takes time to regain that depending on, you know, whatever the situation was and, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, every, everything's just beautiful that you're speaking to. And, and you do a lot of really beautiful work now. I mean, what will you share with us a little Mm -hmm. bit of what you're, what you're doing? I know you're, I mean, you're teaching. I want to, I want you to share that, (laughs) but then I want you to share like what you do do. Yeah. You've been doing that for a while.
1: I have. I, so I've, I have always been that healer. I have always been that, that person, (laughs) my mom says rescues everything. Um, And I've also learned that rescuing is not the way to go, (laughs) Um, you know, (laughs) on the triangle, (laughs) right. You don't, you don't want to step on that triangle. But um, so what I, I have done for over 30 years of I've worked with at risk youth and I, right now I have three, young adult transitional living programs here in West Virginia. They're very small. And I work with adults with disabilities and, um, I do a lot of energy healing with that population, which Mm -hmm. is unique. I don't know of many people who do that. And I've found a way to work with adults who have pretty significant disabilities, you know, low functioning autism, um, schizoaffective disorder, uh, dual diagnosis where they have a mental health challenge but also an addiction issue and i feel like the clients that come into my path are absolutely here divinely it's not mm-hmm. a i don't feel like it's a business situation where i'm like marketing and trying to recruit i don't go at it from that perspective i believe that who needs me will find me and what i need to do with them i do and so i'm able to Help them at a level that they've not been able to experience in the past. Past,
0: yeah. And
1: and then on a literal level, help them to create a community where they can feel safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's kind of my what I do in my part of my pro- professional career. And then I also have a, a nonprofit equine therapy program called Saddles and Smiles, and I use my connection with horses, which I do Reiki with horses and some shamanic work with horses because they have trauma as well. And that's Mm -hmm. another path that's kind of been opened up to me in the past few years. And so that's been really interesting, wonderful work for me to do. Um, But we also, we operate this nonprofit and we provide services for a lot of families and children that live close to me here in West Virginia. We're in a pretty remote area and there are not a lot of services nearby. And so families struggle to get services for their kids, whether it's trauma or whether it's autism or physical challenges um, or mental health challenges. And so we provide services for those folks free of charge in the area. And we have an incredible support system to be able to do that. Um, mm. And then I'm a practicing shaman and I have a, a pretty, um, a pretty big practice um, work with people all over the world at this point, And, And I'm teaching the medicine wheel, And I'm also putting together um, some retreats that are Mm. combining shamanism and neurofeedback to work on deep trauma wounds. Um, And I do some presentations like day-long little workshops or presentations with people in the area or those who want to come in um, to work on how they can begin to release the the limiting beliefs that are holding them back, Um, and that leads me to a lot of individual coaching with people. Um, So I, yeah, I've got a pretty busy, (laughs) pretty busy life. Um, Yes, you are doing so many beautiful
0: things and giving your gift to the world. It's like goodness sakes, I love everything you're doing.
1: I feel very, very blessed to be able to do what I do. I I have an incredible team of people around me, and again, they are. They're just they're gifts they're it's divine intervention to have the people around me that I have that are able to support everything to allow me to do what I do um, yeah. at the end of my year of being alone, I met my current husband, and mm-hmm. we will be celebrating almost i guess we're at close to twenty years total of being together. Um, awesome. and up to that point, it was five years, like five years was my turnover point. <laughs> like you had five <laughs> years shelf life with me and then you're out the door and we're moving on like that. it was a big joke. It's still a big joke. Um, but yeah, it, it you know, I finally, because I was okay with me and I learned to love mm-hmm. me and I learned to know who I was. Then I found a partner who truly is a partner who walks beside me mm-hmm. and who is such an intuitive Energetic, incredible human with no clue that he is. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, it's unbelievable. I mean, he. But he. In fact, when I was going going to the second round of the wheel and the practitioner training, and I had all these reasons why I couldn't do it. He's the one that, like, yes, you are doing this. You know, and I had all the reasons: the time commitment, the money you know, all we were struggling financially at the time, like all of these things. And, and he, there was no question for him. He was the one who said, this is not even an option. You have to do this.
0: Yeah. And,
1: you know, just has such respect for the work that I do, even Mm -hmm. if he doesn't speak the language, you know? Yeah. And I'm, I'm just, I'm so grateful to have all of the people around me that support everything that I do and allow me to have, you know, Juggle 17 balls every day
0: and yeah. be present.
1: It was funny this morning. I was doing my, my little meditation breath work this morning and this question popped up. I don't even know where I saw it, but this question popped up. It's like, how are you going to show up today? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I knew I was doing this with you at the end of my day. And I knew I had several sessions, shamanic sessions today and, and a few other things. And it, it felt overwhelming. It's like, well, how are you going to show up today? And the answer was to be present, to be fully present mm-hmm. in each thing and not worry about the next thing. And I teach that. But sometimes I think when we are doing multiple things, we're thinking ahead and we're mm-hmm. not fully present. We're going through the motions of some things. And it was just such a great reminder of, yeah, yeah. show up fully present because that's how we do it. And that's what works. And that's what I have to do every day.
0: Well, and even as you're recounting that story with your grandfather, it, it, it sounds like that's what you were doing with him. Like there wasn't mm-hmm. any worry or trepidation as far as, well, is he going to judge me? Or is he going to think this? It was just, you were being you and being present in the moment. And I mean, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but as you're recounting it now, as you're sharing this now, I'm like, it's, it sounds like, it feels like that's what you were doing, which.
1: 100%. I didn't think about it like that at all. That's a, you're exactly right. I was. I was in that place of free and easy. I'm just going to be, I mean, right, I had an amazing now. childhood. I really yeah. did. I had, I just, I had an amazing childhood and, and, you know, I wouldn't change a thing about it. And so I, I had such a great family support system that I could be that I could be fully myself and it was okay. And i mm-hmm. never thought about it. From that perspective before. So thank you for that because you're exactly right. I was hundred well, percent present.
0: And I think that's such a beautiful gift to offer in this conversation, too, especially as we're getting towards the end and wrapping up of, you know, it's often the what ifs and the fears of the what-ifs and the fear of judgment or the fear, and they're all things that we're creating in our mind that aren't even real. Mm -hmm. And it is when we're able to be present, that's when we have the full gifts of whatever is happening in that moment. And there isn't room for those what ifs and those fears and that whatever that broken record is that's wanting Mm. to play. There's not room for that when we're choosing to be completely in the moment. Yeah. And it's such a
1: gift. Yeah, it really is. And I, you know, when I'm, I I love the fish. I love to ride my horse. I love all of the outdoor things, all of them. And when I am doing those things, if I'm in the middle of a river or if I'm flying across a meadow on the back of a horse, that is the most free Mm. and present I feel. In fact, when I'm riding a horse as fast as it can go, it's like slow motion for me. Everything slows way down. Mm. And that is that place of absolute connection, absolute presence. And I love having that and and you know my practice allows me to have that. When I'm fully present with a client, I can have that same feeling too. Mm-hmm. And I think I think we chase that our whole lives. I think we do. And I think sometimes we have it, and we don't realize we have it. And well, it's yeah. hard. Well, I think it's similar to as you've been speaking to
0: several things. One of those is you know these this idea of removing the layers and the constructs that we've bought into and that we've been embedded in of finding what's always been there. It's the same thing with what you're just were speaking to. Um, and there was something else I was going to touch on and now it's it's leaving my mind, so I guess we're not I guess it's <laughs> not meant to be. Um, but you for some reason, and i I'm not quite sure why it feels to ask this, but because you do seem to work with a lot of clients that have trauma mm-hmm. which is a unique field and a difficult a challenging field to be in is there any words of advice or wisdom that mm-hmm. you would could offer someone who is either in trauma um maybe in a fight or flight kind of situation in their life
1: that mm-hmm. would be helpful um find that place where you can slow down because trauma response is really the brain is running racing, racing, racing and it is a fight or flight, it is survival so find that place that you can slow down if it's in nature if it's in a church, if it's at your parents, if it's at the grocery store find that place where you can slow down and from that place set up your resources You, you can't when you're in that fight or flight, that, that brain racing trauma response, it's, it's impossible to see what's there. And even if you are in that and people are trying to help you, you can't hear them. You mm-hmm. can't see how it can be helpful. So the first thing that has to happen is, is that slow down, step out. You've got to step out of your life and find that slow down and find that place of peace. And for a lot of people that I work with, it has been prayer you know, going into prayer and they do have faith and they they do believe in their God and Mm -hmm. and they trust it. But there's a disconnect between that level of trust and that trauma that they're living day in and day out. And so that Mm -hmm. takes over. So find that place where you can be at peace and find that slowdown. And then that slowdown begin to Logically think through: What are my resources? Where is my wound? What do I need?
0: Mm-hmm. When you're talking resources, what do you mean?
1: Um, whether it's so, if it's somebody who's in a, a you know a, a dangerous situation, for example, like who are the people that provide safety? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think about situations where children are in danger. You, mm-hmm. you know, how do you get your children safe? What do you need to do to be safe? That's mm-hmm. number one. Um, mm-hmm. And then other in other situations, like if you know that you're in that trauma response, um or you know you're in a situation that feels you know it in your body, like you feel it in your body. if you know mm-hmm. if it's not like one of those overtly dangerous, abusive situations, that kind of trauma, but th- but it's a situation where you know you're not you're not where you should be. You know, you know it in your body, you feel it. And so what are the resources there in order to find something different in your life? Is it a therapist? Is it, um, you know, is it someone in your church? Is it a friend? Is it your podcast? Like that? I know, I know your podcast is inspiring to so many people because they talk to me about it. You know, so Mm -hmm. I know But that's one of the things like if and if you find one thing that speaks to you, that's going to lead you to something else that speaks to you. And it's going Mm -hmm. to give you more and more resources to help support you make the change that you don't know how to make.
0: Yeah. Well, safety is always that big piece, right? Especially for Mm -hmm. people who are in a trauma response. Like you can't Mm -hmm. actually move anywhere until you get to a place to where you feel safe.
1: Yeah. Yep.
0: Um. In your experience, what would you what is your thoughts on anxiety? because that seems so rampant right now mm-hmm. and I don't know if you're mm-hmm. seeing it and there's so many yeah. different opinions and different belief systems and it's yeah I'd be curious your thoughts on that if you don't mind sharing
1: yeah it it's it's uh, I have the same question honestly because yes I, it's almost every person that I work with anxiety is a huge part of it and I think you know, I work with a lot of young adults and, uh, and, you know, older teens. And I think for them, society, we've created it. We've created this anxiety with them. And, you know, it's, it's, it's so hard for them to be who they are or to go through that process of, of discovering themselves at that age. Like even for me to get up and walk out of my grandfather's church at such a young age, Nobody was going to put that on Facebook or send a Snapchat of Angie walking out of church. Like nobody was going to do that, you know? And right now, the kids and young adults that I'm working with, they have so many external requirements. They're not, but they perceive them to be that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they don't have a lot of safety space in their lives because they're so connected to everything all the time. There is no time for them to slow down, be quiet, find that place of serenity and peace. Mm-hmm. They don't have time to do that. And, and so they, you know, without fail, every one of them that I'm currently working with, their anxiety is tied back to their perception of themselves, their fear of disappointing somebody, um, usually not their parents, it's usually a peer of some sort, mm-hmm. or an idol that they have, or their fear that they won't be this perfect person, you know, they're in the search for perfection, and their perception mm-hmm. of perfection is unrealistic. Yeah. And yeah, and so they're, they're out there in the world, rather than just dis- discovering who they are, they're searching for something they can never attain. And so it just make other it compounds happy. everything. Yeah, yeah. Yes, Well, yeah. and not and, and, and go ahead. No, you go. There seems like there's a little bit of a lag. Go ahead. Andy. Um and so I, I, you know, the one the, the young people who are strong enough to stand up in their own identity, they're then getting a barrage of beratement for mm-hmm. being who they are. And that's also connected to the the expect the unrealistic expectations that they have to face every day. So, you know, this,
0: I mean, this brings up two thoughts in my, my mind. One, you know, I'd be curious actually for anybody who does have anxiety and is experiencing that right now. If you could actually go back and look at what you're thinking and what your thoughts are and notice if that isn't creating your anxiety mm-hmm. and, um, to man, to what you're speaking of. I mean, this to me is that whole Christ complex. You will be crucified for stepping out of the norm and stepping mm-hmm. out and going against what society, the society is teaching you is okay and acceptable and quote unquote, perfect. Mm-hmm. And you will be crucified. And mm-hmm. this is an, this is an archetype of Christ that I think needs to be, um, unlocked and released and let go of that is very mm-hmm. much alive and rampant within our society mm-hmm. and yeah it's just unfortunate I, we we just had a 12 year old in our community that took that took his life recently because of some bullying and things that were happening at school and it was just heartbreaking oh
1: my god heartbreaking uh, yeah yeah i you know in 2016 i had 11 people in my, my life. Take their own lives. I remember and,
0: that.
1: Yeah, it was. Um, I think if I had not been in the medicine wheel, then I don't know that I would have survived that mm. whole process. Um, I have since gained the gifts of all of that. I I know the gifts, um, but I now you know I I had one of my one of my shamanic clients call last night because her daughter was in the hospital. She's thirteen. Mm suicidal ideation. She's, she's, you know, she's very different. She's an artist. She's an incredible artist, but she's, she dresses her own way. She walks her own path and she's being bullied at school because she's different. And, you know, and and what you were saying about the Christ complex, one of the things that kind of dropped in for me is like, I think a lot of the young adults that I'm working with, like they've had this indoctrination for that's what it is when they were little um, mm-hmm. and they don't know it. They, they're not aware of it. Um, you know, I, I, I have young adults who really are, are seeking spirituality in some way or another. And some of them go so far away from what their traditional family belief system is because they don't know how to function within it. Right. And so they just blow everything out of the water and then their parents don't know how to deal with them. And then you got all this, this trauma that happens mm-hmm. in the family system because of that, but it, I I I really believe that a lot of this happens when they're little because of the the religion that they are in, and and it's not like their parents are doing this on purpose. You know, it's right. They're taking them and to church. They is. want, yeah, they want them to have a good structure. They want them to be good people and kind. And you know, I, I get it, but I also see the the other side of it when they get to me and they're so lost and wow. they don't want anything to do with religion or any structure like that. And I think you're right. I think that it, it's, it's something that does need to be opened up, explored and, and changed. And I, and you know, for some of them, they can do that energetically without having to relive the whole thing, like mm-hmm. because they don't even, they can't even put language to it. Um, but for a lot of them, they can't. And then for a lot of the adult clients that I work with, they just are, you know, they really struggle with, with that whole idea of, mm-hmm. yes, I'll be crucified if I step outside mm-hmm. of the perceived norm. And so I can't be who I am. And so I'm just going to be this other person. And then, you know, there are marriages and children and jobs and all these things that don't fit with who they are. And then they have mm-hmm. anxiety.
0: And then something will eventually collapse. That's what's challenging if you live against. I think this is one of the most beautiful things about us as humans in general. And and your story was a beautiful example of this. And all of us can echo that when we don't live our path and we go, we will have all these things will keep bumping up that are painful as hell Mm -hmm. until we get to that point where we have the dark night of the soul or we Mm -hmm. have this. Okay, I guess now I get to go I get to start asking the really hard questions cuz this isn't working. Yeah. And yeah. In that, it's that feedback of life that we get to really look at and go I'm not I'm not okay with how this is looking anymore. What do I really need to do now? Yeah. And for a lot of us it takes some really really <laughs> difficult experiences and I I echo the same you and I have the same some yeah. painful things to go cuz strong you know I'm A little bit of a, anyway, this is a whole other conversation.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to do things my way, but yeah, my dark night of the soul was my year of being alone. No, it was that. Okay. It's time to look at me. You know, I've been hiding Mm -hmm. behind all these other things for so long and now it's time to really look at me. Mm -hmm. Thank God I did. You know, I'm, I'm so grateful that I did. I'm so grateful that for the life that I have now and, I'm so grateful for the the people that I get to touch and that my children are a whole different you know now yeah. I get to touch my grandson with the same thing you know and that they don't have to go through that same process and and yet I'm mm-hmm. so grateful for what I had you know it's mm-hmm. it's yeah I left the religion but I'm so grateful for the experience and you know mm-hmm. and I do I I want to say that I so appreciate the safety that you create in the space mm-hmm. that you hold for this because this isn't about bashing the religion or, you know, it's not, it's, it's a part of the journey. And and, and if not for that, I wouldn't be where I am now. Right. Yeah. And so it's, I get to have that great love and respect for my grandfather and what he did. And I know he touched hundreds of people in a really beautiful way. And I'm grateful for mm-hmm. that. You yeah. know, I'm not, I, it's, it's not the way I want to live my life. And, and, you know, but he did touch a lot of people that, that's what they needed at that time. So yeah, mm-hmm. I just wanted to acknowledge that. I think that's really beautiful mm-hmm. that you do thank that.
0: you. Well, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. And, um, our time is coming to an end. Is there mm-hmm. anything else that you would like to share or leave with?
1: Mm-hmm. I think that the important thing from today is just the important thing to, to leave everyone with. And that is how are you going to show up today?
0: Yeah.
1: How I are you going to show up today? Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm, beautiful well thank you so much angie i really appreciate you and just oh i have such deep love for you like Aww. we got to spend some time in some sacred space and ever since i just feel like we're we're just soul sisters and i just appreciate you and love 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 the gifts that you're bringing to the world if someone did
1: want to connect with you do you have a website what's mm-hmm. um, livingmindfullyaware.com is my website um, a good email? Is mindfulangie at gmail, and I'm fine with people sending an email in. Um, I am on Instagram, mindfulangie, um, and I I do I have a I have a Facebook group. It's a closed group, but if anybody would want to be in that, they could get in touch with me, and I'd be happy to add them into that group. Um, and yeah, and I'll make and sure I,
0: and put these on the in the show notes too. Okay. And what were you going to say, Angie?
1: Um, I was just going to, I just wanted to say that, yes, the the short period of time that we got to be in the same space was incredibly meaningful to me. And I had, for all the listeners, I had one of the most amazing shamanic healing moments with Amanda. And it has always, it, it has changed things for me from that moment on. Things really changed. And so, you know, that was at the moment, I don't even think you were really aware of how impactful that was for me because we were both in training, but we it really was. <laughs> it really oh. was. It was so powerful and so meaningful. And so I've always been so grateful for that. And I love watching you grow all the things oh, that you're likewise. doing
0: likewise, and man, your do you beautiful you?
1: family. <laughs> you're, oh. you're just living your truth and it's awesome to see. <laughs>
0: so you. Oh. Well, thank you again. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Oh, these
0: interviews so excite me and fuel my soul. I'm sure there is some beautiful wisdom that you gained from this interview today. And I'm really excited to start branching out and start having different conversations with people of all faiths and all backgrounds and all religious upbringings, because I think there's wisdom to be held in all dynamics. So if you're feeling the call to share your story, head over to, well, just go ahead and email me, aj at amandajoyco.com, And let's see if this is a fit for you to be on my podcast. And again, head over to my website, see the next events that I have coming up. They're truly beautiful events. And these are all offerings that I am creating and cultivating to assist you in removing the layers that are prohibiting you from accessing that inner core self, that spiritual center, your center that you're seeking, because everything you're seeking resides within you. And these tools are just helping you to remove those layers so that you can access that more and more clearly. And just remember, you're not alone in your journey. We're all here to help each other home, sending you all so much love.